Welcome to Alive and Kick In, the 90s football podcast. The podcast is more 90s than wanting to go to school at Bayside High. Ah, uh, Kelly Krapowski, my first love. My name is Ash Rose, your host and guide to football in the 1990s. So strap yourself in and get ready for another look back at the decade that changed football forever. Thank you for hitting that download button. And if you're already a subscriber, thank you. And hello once again. It's it's good to be back. Um, I must explain, really, um, why we've had a uh, longer absence than expected of the show. It's been a few weeks. Uh, apologies for that. Um, there's three reasons, uh, really, why that's happened. Um, firstly, a brilliant one. Well, specifically for me, um, I became a dad uh, for the first time last month by having my little girl arrive uh, a little bit earlier than expected. And therefore, I've been busy getting no sleep and, and changing nappies all the time. And uh, all the while, giving her a 1990s football education. So don't worry. She's uh, she's getting it early. She's getting me talking about Roy Wegglington and everything already, so she knows what's going on. Anyway, her, her early arrival meant we didn't get to record as many shows as possible to fill the, the gap while I was on paternity leave. Um, so, yeah, there was an extended gap than we wanted to. Um, secondly, we've also had a change behind the scenes. Um, it's not a voice you hear on here, but uh, our former producer, Gabe, has moved on to sunnier climates. So we wish him well. Uh, do check out his podcast, uh, Going Somewhere. It's a, it's a great show with a different kind of twist on different travel and things like that. Do check that out on uh, Twitter and on iTunes. But we have a new producer in Harry. So it's welcome to Harry to the AK90s family. And although I'm pretty sure that him, like Gabe, is far too young to remember anything we bang about on here. I know for a fact that Gabe was born before Euro 92. So that says, I know, on Euro 92. So that says a lot about the, the producers that are doing this show but they do a grand job even if they are a little bit younger than the some of us banging on about the 1990s and lastly really i just wanted to get the right guests for the right themes that's always what we want to do for this show to make sure we get the right people talking about the right things especially if they're fans of the club as well so it didn't quite work out we were meant to do a show last week didn't quite work out for a couple of these reasons all put together however we're back tonight and we still have a few more shows on this before we wrap up so including of course our euro 96 20th anniversary special which we'll do in a few weeks and uh, we'll let you know all about that Tonight, though, we're going to ride on the back of Leicester City's coattails, actually, at the weekend and look back at the champions of the 1990s, all the First Division slash Premier League winners in a quite a packed show, actually. We've got more guests than we've ever had before, so it'd be quite interesting. We've got all the, the teams covered as well. Before we meet them, though, I just wanted to take a moment, actually, to say what an amazing moment that was, actually, last weekend um, when Leicester City received the trophy. I know we hashtag keep it 90s on here, but I mention it mainly because it's the 90s twist on that moment that made it so special and for me a, a true goosebump moment really that image of Andrea Bocelli singing what is for me one of the most magical pieces of music of all time Nessun Dorma of course the theme tune to Italian 90 the great Pavarotti who sang it it was chilling wasn't it I mean I can't imagine what it was like to be a Leicester fan in that ground truly truly amazing moment uh you can't write those kind of things, can you? You really can't. I really did sit there at home watching it thinking, wow, I'd love that to be my club. But well done to Leicester. Um, we're going to talk more about champions in the decade we celebrate in just a second. But here's how you can keep in touch with us. You can follow us on Twitter and on Facebook at AK90s. And as I say, keep any 90s images or questions coming at us if you want to. I know a couple of us on Twitter recently, I know someone purchased uh, MCFC shirts, the uh, book for Italian 90, uh, the great book that was released around that time and he put that on there which is great to see it's a great read if you get to have a look at that he also purchased my book as well the alive and kicking ak90s book which this podcast spawned from which you can get from amazon and all good bookstops if you want to check that out 
And if you want to listen to any of the previous shows, we are available on the website, ak90s.co.uk, SoundCloud, and of course on iTunes. And if you're on iTunes and you want to subscribe, hit that button so you get the show put to your device every week without you doing a thing. And if you really, really love us, which I'm sure you do because you're still listening, um, give us a review. You know, give us, tell us why you like the show and if and tell everybody else why you want to spread the love the 1990s love the football nostalgia that we do on here it helps us always tremendously and we just want to get more people involved i know there's a few people recently have only just discovered the show and they've gone back and listened to some of the older episodes i think we did a great one last time out on the toys and games show i really enjoyed doing that because i'm a proper action figure geek so it was great talking to them listen to that back on itunes it's a great show so do do that and now we will meet tonight's guest so let's see who we got involved and who wants to talk 1990s so that's me tonight, guest. And yes, it's a jam-packed room with every 90s top flight winners covered. Um, so in order of chronological order of championship wins, let's welcome back first to freelance football writer across Merseyside, Richard Buxton. How are you doing, Richard? Very good, Ash. Good to have you back on. And then representing Leeds and that winning team of 1992, yes, before the Premier League, it's freelance <laughs> sports and music writer, Vic Sanger. How are you doing, Vic? I'm very well, thanks, Ash. Good to have you on. Uh, May United is covered by our photographer friend at Google, Matt Wing. Matt, how are you doing? Uh, fine, thank you, Ash. Good to speak to you. Good. And finally, a newbie, a BBC journalist and Blackburn fan to talk us through that magical season in 1995, John Harrison. How are you doing, John? Brilliant. Thank you. Yeah, how are you doing? I'm all good. Thank you very much. And don't fret, Arsenal fans, we have you covered too, because today's guest will be a winner from 1991 who talks about that season and a little bit about 1998 as well in David Hilliard. So we'll talk to him on the phone. Uh, before we get these guys CVs, here's a few, quite a few things actually, because we're heading in, we're now in the middle of May, so you can imagine the things that happened in the 90s. So here's a few things that happened <laughs> this week. Uh, the 12th of May, 1999. Sorry, John, for this, because you got you on the show, but Blackburn are relocated from the Premier League just four <laughs> years after winning the title. I remember that <laughs> Alex Ferguson interview afterwards where he pretended not to realise that he'd just relegated his older mate, Brian Kidd. And um, on 13th of May, 1997, Dan Collymore joins Boyhood Team Aston Villa from Liverpool. On the, on the same day in 1998, Junior Zola scores the winner as Chelsea beats Stuttgart to win the Cup Winners' Cup. 14th of May 1995, much better news. Blackburn clinched the Premier League title at Anfield, which we'll talk about in just a bit. The 14th of May 1994, United win the FA Cup with a 4 0 win over Chelsea to pull it their double. On uh, the same year in 95, Man City's John Burridge becomes the Premier League's oldest footballer at 43 years and 162 days. 15th of May 1993, Arsenal Sheffield Wednesday draw 1-1 in the last ever FA Cup final that would go to a replay. The 16th of May 1990 is Arsenal secure their double win with a 2-0 FA Cup win over Newcastle in 1998, sorry. And on the 16th of May 1999, May 92-1 win at Tottenham season and win their Premier League title on the way to the treble. Right, so we've got a mixture of CVs then. I'll, I'll stick to the order that I uh, introduced the guests in. Rich, this is your hat-trick appearance, so that means goals. Uh, your favourite Liverpool goal from the 90s? That's quite a tough one, really. Um, I've actually been re-watching a few today, trying to work out which one to pick. Um, I've actually whittled it down to about three or four, but um, <laughs> I mean, they're all, they're all Stephen Manning ones, so that kind of makes it a bit easier. Um, I think it's got to be that one against Celtic in 1997, yeah. the, the one from his own half. I mean, this was a typical McManaman goal. He'd, he'd pick it up on the halfway line, he'd do a bit of a, a sprint, draw past a few defenders, and then he'd curl it in. Um, but obviously, he, went, he had a bit more of a a delayed start at uh, a Parkheads, and I think the brilliance that goal, I mean, that was just McManaman all over, I think. Yeah, big time. As we say on this podcast, a lot of very underrated player, Stephen Manaman, especially what he went on to do at Real Madrid. Outside of Anfield then, uh, favourite goal of the 90s? Well, this is quite a top one, actually, because um, I ended up going back through the archive and working out which of the great 90s goals I wanted to pick, and 
unfortunately, most of the goals of the season had uh, multiple entries from Darian Atkinson, so <laughs> I couldn't really pick that. And, and an umbrella, Wallace, I remember vaguely, yeah. Yeah, and the, uh, the Rod Wallace one would have been a little bit too predictable, but there's one I found from 95-96, and it's probably quite relevant because it's two teams that, that won the title in the 90s. It was um, Arsenal against Leeds at Ellen Rose, and oh. it was um, Ian Wright scored. It was a, I actually think it's probably better goal than Cantona's ship against Sunderland, to be honest. It was... Um, it was laid off to him by Dennis Bergkamp. The ball hits him square in the face. Yeah, he regains control. Tristan turns um, up against David Weatherall and then just dinks it on the edge of the area into the top left-hand corner. And John Lukic, who's obviously an ex-Arsenal keeper, kind of just walked as a turn over him as sort of, I'm not going to get that. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, I think, and I think it's, it's probably one of the, the more underrated goals, to be honest. Yeah, I vaguely remember that. That's a nice segue to, to Vic. Vic, do you remember that goal? I do remember it very well, actually. Yeah, I think uh, yeah we got we got beaten that day. But uh, John Lukic um, seemed to do that quite a lot in the nineties, actually, <laughs> since he signed for us. Yeah, he seemed to uh, give one side of the goal to the to the strikers pretty much all the way through. So um, yeah, he had uh, he had a lot of trouble covering a lot of that uh, Ellen Road goal, I think. And he's veteran stage. Let's talk about your CVs. We're on to your second time, so it's matches. Your favourite Leeds match of the nineties? Would it be when QPR beat you four one at Loftus Road? No, <laughs> no, I don't think it'll be that one actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my favourite match of the 90s was probably um, uh, I think we might talk about it a bit later on but in the European Cup actually uh, in the 90s um, Leeds against Stuttgart where we had to uh, play them in a replay yeah. in the new camp um, oh, uh, never forget it I always remember my dad and I both big Leeds fans sitting around the table and watching it on a Friday night and um, yeah seeing Carl Schutt who had just come on moments earlier for Eric Cantona come on and score the winning goal in the new camp which oh, was, uh, there's, there's a name from the 90s. <laughs> so that was uh, that was one of my my favourite matches. Uh, favourite goals. I mean, you you were talking about it before, but um, I think the one that stands out for me in the 90s has always been Tony Yeboah, really against uh, against Liverpool in '95. I always preferred uh, the Wimbledon one for me. Actually, I love the Wimbledon yeah. goal. It was so hard, hit that ball so bloody hard, didn't he? I think yeah, I know the Wimbledon one. I think because um, obviously I think he scored a hat trick that day, didn't he? And yeah. uh, that one stuck in a lot of people's minds. But uh, I, I just always thought the one against Liverpool, uh, 25 yards out, 30 yards out on the volley, and then beating England's number one keeper at the yeah. time, David James, full stretch. You know, it's kind of what a goal in off the underside of the bar. Yeah, top, top <laughs> You've skipped ahead CVs there. Next time you're on, we'll have to choose something else. So uh, favourite right. match outside of Ellen Road then? Ooh, favourite match outside of Ellen Road. Um, it's been <laughs> it's been so many really. Um, just trying to. Trying to look back, I mean, I think probably like the uh, the Liverpool Newcastle ones were always uh, always classics, yeah. really. Yeah, you know, I think yeah, you never forget those moments, really, on Sky Sports on a Monday night, and uh, yeah, so I think those ones will probably probably stand out in my mind most. Yeah, Collymore closing and all that. Matt, your yep. second time as well, so let's talk matches with you. Um, favorite Man United match of the nineties? Must be a plethora to choose from. I've got a few to choose from, and it's um. It's, it's not overly... I mean, it is from 99, so it is a little predictable in that way, but um, it was semi-final for me. Of course. The second leg of the semi-final, 2-0 down. I think in the first 10, 15 minutes, we were 2 down. Making, I think we were 1-0 from the first leg, but big trouble. Juventus were probably probably the best side in Europe at that time. Um, I don't remember the full lineup, but I remember players like Zidane, David, I think Conte, Deschamps, all... Um, Montero, I think, was another one of those real, you know, proper players. And uh, I didn't, ex- I didn't think it was going to go very well at two 0 down. Heads were down, but um, 
remember Keane's goal and then I think York scored quite quickly afterwards with a header and it seemed uh, quite even then and then all of a sudden Cole popped up with uh I remember going around or one of the one of the two Cole or York going around the keeper and uh and one of them tucking away I can't remember which way around it was I think it was Cole who scored it in the end but um yeah and uh, the famous commentary full steam Barcelona I think it was Clive Tilsley with that but that was my my favourite match because yeah. I think it suddenly realised where we were going and what sort of team we were then. The Roy Keane game, isn't it? That's what they call it because of his obviously suspension for for the final. So, yeah. but, but other than, away from Man United, you um, will you agree with Vic there? The Liverpool Newcastle game, or are you choosing another match from the nineties? I'm, I'm not going to go with that one. I mean, Ooh, I, 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 remember, I remember watching that game with friends of mine, and uh, yeah, it wasn't the best. I mean, another great game actually. Man United. I know we're going back to Man United, but the three all. Yeah, the wonderful Rudder, game. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, at half-time, I was full of it with all my Liverpool <laughs> friends, but uh, I, I quietened down a bit. One of my game, I think, was is it underlooked. It was 98 or 99, I can't remember exactly. Uh, West Ham against Wimbledon. I don't know if any of you remember it. It's not one of the glamour ones, but West Ham were 3-0 up in about 40 minutes. And then uh, Wimbledon scored four unanswered goals in the second half to win it 4-3. Four, four, was it like a Monday night or something like yeah, that? Yeah, I remember yeah. watching it on the TV. That's why I probably would never remember it otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, Koku got the winner. Oh, there's a name. Brilliant. Yeah, like a random one. Real, I think Bounds have been a header. I'm pretty sure it would have been. Good stuff. But I remember that. That was, a, that was great. But underlooked. Yeah, definitely. We'll have to look that back up on YouTube. We'll stick it on Twitter later. And then finally, John, out there, you go right back to the start of our uh, CVs. Your favourite 90s player from, from Blackburn? Favourite 90s player from Blackburn? Well, well, we had a few then. We haven't got many now. Um, <laughs> I'd probably One of my favourite players was always Colin Hendry. He, he, yeah. he, he was there on my first ever match for Blackburn. He, he played. Um, you know, it, was, it was at Wembley in 1987. He scored the winner at, at Wembley. And he... he um, he, he went off to City, came back, and um, yeah, he was he he was just sort of uh, he just sort of embodied, I think, what that team was about. It was sort of you know, aside from the sort of Shearer and Sutton up front, he was um, it, it was a it was a hard working team really, and it was they 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 put in a put in a shift really, and and, and he was um, well, yeah, I mean, you, Captain Braveheart to use a. Uh, to use the um, the term that he gets dubbed with, but yeah, I'd, I'd probably say Hendry. But there were there were a few. Um, I mean, obviously Shearer, yeah, slightly. Yeah, Sutton Sutton stuck around for a long time, but I think Colin Hendry for me. Um, and then if you want an unfashionable one, Mark Atkins. You know, he's a he's a real fan's favourite Blackburn. He, um, he he again, he's been there for years and years, and then. Um, Ended up a champion, so um, I'd probably stick with one of those two, to be honest. Yeah, cool. We both both nearly made this show in terms of an interview. Uh, we didn't quite work out the timings, but hopefully right. we'll get them on the, the podcast before the end of the season. Uh, outside of Blackburn, then your favourite player of the nineties? Favourite player of the nineties? Um, I always quite like wingers, so I, I, you know, Stuart Ripley. Well, <laughs> we had a few. Yeah, yeah, we had a few. Ripley and uh, and Wilcox. Um, I always quite liked Andre Konchelskis. Every time he played against us, he, he seemed to he seemed to score two or three and and, and absolutely mm. destroyed us. So, yeah, I, I think Konchelskis was a good player. Um, yeah, let's say Konchelskis. Yeah, yeah a, a, bit, bit of, a bit of a bit of a a quick winger, direct. Uh, uh, as I say, he always scored against Blackburn as well. So, um, one of those players that you sort of love to hate a bit. Yeah, and uh, never a name you want your child to get on the back of your shirt. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Always get gigs. Get gigs. Yeah. 
Number 14, I think it was as well. So it was another number. Right, so let's talk championship wins. Um, obviously, there's a lot of us in the room, but feel free to, to cut across <coughs> each other if you want to mm-hmm. mention anything. But I will focus on each of the kind of the title teams um, with you guys. So, I mean, we'll start at the very beginning, as they say, in 1990, which unbelievably at the time was was Liverpool's last ever title win, Richard. Um, must seem a long time ago now. It feels like an incredibly long time ago. It's... Um... You know, what's it up to now? Twenty six years since we last won the title, and um, I mean, at the time, I, my memories of it are very, very hazy. I mean, I was watching it on um, on Granada. Um, it was a QPR game, and they were showing the celebrations, and Elton Welby was talking us through it. And, and you know, it, it was kind of accepted by by my uncles and my cousins. It was almost like we'll see him again next year, um, and that was the expecting of Liverpool. It was always the tradition within the actual club was. That running around, the coach would come around with the medals and say, "Did you play last year? Yeah, okay, here's your medal." And that was in August, so there was no pomp and ceremony apart from when you paraded the title. But it was so routine that everyone thought this is going to this is going to keep keep on uh, on happening. Um, but through one thing and another, I think the toll of Hildra uh, came home to roost on on the on the players and on Kevin Magalhães at the time. Um, it was also an Asian squad, so it was. Um, it wasn't modified accordingly. It was either changed too quickly or not quick enough. Um, and everything throughout the 90s, a period of mismanagement on and off the pitch, uh, was the reason why United ended up in pole position. But at the time, we all thought Liverpool were going to run away with it and it was going to be another decade of dominance. Looking back at that team, Richard, I mean, it's you say it was pretty much near the end, but they, the players they still had in that team at that time, you're talking your Hansons, John Barnes, Ian Rush, you know, Steve Nicholl, they, they were, it was such a transition to go very quickly they took Arsenal to the wire the next season but these players they seem to age very quickly into that decade and the, the transition didn't work did it well it's very similar to what happened with the uh, bring up to the present day with what happened with Chelsea it was almost like um everything that they had the spirit the, the the drive the the engine of the team it all fell apart very quickly and there was not really any real ex- honest explanation for why obviously we, we've, we've alluded to the factors that could have played a part but it just seems to be a very strange unravelling. And I think as well, the culture that surfaced in the club in the mid-90s, the Spice Boys generation, I think that kind of killed off any hopes of a resurgence. Um, it's, it, as you say, it was strange because it was such a, a team blessed with quality. I mean, even if you look at, um, at Kenny Dagley's last game in 1991, I mean, you look at the goal scored in that game, John Barnes, Peter Beardley, you know, they're not they're not players in, in, the, um, in the first spring of youth, but... Uh, they could still score the goals. They could still beat the man. They could still run the defences. I mean, they, they had all the ingredients. It was just a case of everything around them seems to be conspiring against them. Yeah, it was. It's a stranger. And a, a quick word with the other guys about that, that Liverpool team. Let's start, you know, with Vic. Um, I mean, what do you remember about that early Liverpool team and and what happened in the nineties to them? Um, I mean, I think everyone remembers like sort of eighty nine. <laughs> I think you know the once Arsenal sort of did that last minute. Uh, goal I think at the time and I think it was a it's a you know you how are they going to come back and obviously around 1990 you know there was uh you know who would have like, like I said who would have said that would be their last title for for a long time really it's uh you know my memories around that time a bit hazy my uh my brother was a big Liverpool fan and uh John Barnes was obviously you know signed from Watford and had been brought in to uh to take the club onto the next level really but um yeah it's um <laughs> Yeah, my well, memories around that time, I guess, of Liverpool at least, are uh, are a little bit hazy, I'm afraid. A great team, though, and, and Matt. I mean, as a Man United fan at the time, uh, 
it was kind of rolled reverse, wasn't it? You were the team kind of wondering if Ferguson was the man and Liverpool were dominating. And that the 10 years, it just completely flipped reverse, didn't it? It did. It was incredible. I mean, the nine, uh, again, it was the time I was just starting secondary school in the 90s. <laughs> and and uh, every single person at my school was a Liverpool supporter. <laughs> I mean, there was I, there was myself and a, another guy called Luke. We were the only two Man United fans at a secondary school of a thousand kids. So that gives you an idea of the wow. time at where, of uh, that's of astonishing, what, incredible, wasn't it? <laughs> that so is. Oh, that is it's amazing, and uh, and it was just Liverpool. Every I remember, the, I think it was a candy kit, was it, with the little yeah, red the little red on it? Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> I, remember, I remember everyone having those, and uh, yeah. Yeah, it was a it was a difficult time to be, but you know, I was I was ten then. I didn't really understand for for years and years. I didn't realise there was more than one football team than Man United. <laughs> My dad gave me the kit and he said, "You wear that, and that's what you do." And and uh, I just assumed that everybody had that kit. And it's only when I went to school and then saw everybody else with different kits that I realised, uh, you know, what was going on. But I remember just Liverpool. Just you used to look at the top of the table and they were always there. All that sort of that time when Ferguson first went in, and mm-hmm. it must have been. Uh, Quite daunting for him, I suppose, to go into that, especially with the you know the drinking culture that was at the club when when he went in. But um, he, he did all right in the end, I think. Yeah, I didn't think he did okay. I love you talking about kits, Matt. You know where to hit it, where it. My heart is on the <laughs> yeah, podcast. Yeah. Talk to me about kits all day, um, John. I'm, correct me if I'm wrong. Did Blackburn play Liverpool in a cup game in the early nineties? Funny enough, I just looked that up. Um, Ninety, yeah, nineteen ninety one, fifth of January, ninety one. And that's the game that springs that comes straight to my mind because it's the first time I'd ever seen Blackburn on telly, mm. and it was heartbreaking because we were in the old Division Two then, and um, obviously Liverpool were champions. We we had them at home at um, at Ewood in the I think it was the third round. Of, it must have been the third round of the cup in January, and um, we were one nil up. And I think Simon Garner scored one nil up, and last minute, literally the last minute of the game. It was a Mark Atkins own goal. Second mention for Mark Atkins. Yeah, he <laughs> <well> tonight. <laughs> yeah, he has already. Yeah, um, and it was an own goal. And as, as I say, it was it was on match of the day that night. It was the first time I'd ever seen Blackburn on the telly. Um, and it, it, it it's a really actually it's quite a it's quite quite an interesting moment actually because that was in the January that the, the early next season um, Doug Leash was was our manager. He was Liverpool manager at the time. Early next season. Uh, we, we'd we'd got rid of Don Mackay and 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 Kenny had taken over at Blackburn and and that was kind of the the start of everything that was to come. Um, but yeah, I remember it being absolutely heartbreaking. Um, and um, yeah, that's my only real memory. We were we were we were down and out at the time, so um, didn't really pay much attention to the to uh, to Division One. At the, well, yeah, it was Division One, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. Division One at the time. It was. Uh, it seemed another world away. <laughs> yeah, that just popped into my mind that Liverpool team. But yeah, yeah, the sea. You know, the, we the following season, as I said, Liverpool chased Arsenal all the way, and we'll speak to David Hillier in just a bit about that season. But that's just slightly move on to the following season, the last season of the old First Division, and this is where Vic can grin like a Cheshire cat. I'm uh, grinning, yeah, grinning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that Leeds team. I mean. I compared it, I spoke, I vaguely had some weird workings with Radio Yorkshire. I do some stuff with them and I compared it recently. It's not completely unlikely to that of Leicester because Leeds were promoted, weren't they? Was it in 1990? 19... Yeah. And so, so, so then two years later, first division champions. That's right. How did that happen? Well, it's a pretty incredible turnaround, really. I mean, if you think about it, like you said, in the 
season we were you know in division two at the time and Howard Wilkinson had come in and you're trying to you know get us out of the division and uh, we'd signed Vinnie Jones and Chris Kamara were you know sort of anchoring our midfield and we started to have a couple of sort of youngsters come through in the names of uh, sort of Gary Speed and David Batty and Gary Kelly and all these guys were sort of you know hovering around and uh, yeah sure enough we got we got promoted got out with uh, with Sheffield United at the time out of the division and we came came into the uh, division one in 19 19- and uh, and what a first season we had we we finished you know and that's pretty much unheard of you know you think about it this time around I mean Leicester you've seen what they've done but you know to come up from the lower division into the into essentially the, you know the first division now and and to finish fourth in your first season was a remarkable achievement and then the following season really I mean of course you know we would have taken third I guess you know <laughs> that would have been amazing but uh, to actually win it all. Um, was just an incredible season and one full of memories for me really uh howard wilkinson just you know completely transformed the team just gave him you know just so much belief and like you said the team that we had you know we we bought john lukic in from arsenal you know we we had him for a for a million pounds and uh, we bought in gary McAllister from leicester um and it co- cost a million pounds as well we'd also you know shored up the defense with chris white uh, but our midfield, you know, essentially became the, the best midfield in Britain, as it was known, because, you know, we had David Batty sort of anchoring it. We had Gary Speed, Gary McAllister and Gordon Strachan. And, and Gordon Strachan really was the masterstroke, really. You know, he was the one that Howard Wilkinson had brought in from Manchester United while we were still in the second division. Strachan was the one who kind of, you know, got us got us up there into the uh, into the first division. And uh, and yeah, and what a season 91-92 was. It really, it does really remind me of because... There, to be fair, there wasn't many massive stars. Great. Gordon Strachan was obviously the mm-hmm. big name. Uh, yep. He was kind of getting towards the twilight of his career, not quite Coventry days, but it really was certain players having the seasons of the, a guy like Chris White or Mel Sterling. Right. These guys weren't big names, but they, they really did have a season of their lives combined with that sort of youthful experience with the uh, batty and speed, didn't they? That's right. Exactly right. And, you know, what it was was... Uh, it was it's easy to say now, you know, it's like a full cliche almost, but it's that, you know, right mix of kind of experience and youth that was that was in the side at the time. And um, and hearing sort of interviews later on, I remember seeing um, a great sort of sit-down table interview with sort of McAllister, Strachan and Lee Chapman, who was, uh, who was top scorer that season. And um, they, were, they were all sitting down and, uh, you know, talking about, you know, the achievements. And they said, Howard Wilkinson had given the target of let's finish second. What we want to do this season is just finish second. And so all they wanted to do was finish second. And it's only when Manchester United you know, sort of began to slip up that uh, the chance was there for Leeds to take over and take the mantle. But uh, that side, like you said, you know, we had Lee Chapman up front. Uh, Rod Wallace was in the side as well. We had Steve Hodge. You know, he was... Oh, yeah. a, he was <laughs> you know, so he was in and out of the side, but uh, you know, McAllister, Strachan, Speed, Batty, those those four, and you know, Tony Dorigo as a as a fullback as well was uh, was you know <laughs> was fantastic as well. But uh, yeah, the, it was just an incredible season. I'll, I'll never forget it. You know, that last I think it was the penultimate game of the season, and uh, we were playing Sheffield United um, at Bramall Lane. And uh, we basically needed to win, and knowing Manchester United had to play Liverpool later on, and it was an incredible game. I think we were we were sort of two one up, and then sort of Sheffield United got back into it, made it two two, and then uh, we got an own goal. I think Brian Gale had scored an own goal. <laughs> Sheffield United gave us a three two win at Bramall Lane, which meant Manchester United would have to beat Liverpool at Anfield to uh, to kind of keep in the title race. And I always remember Liverpool did us a, a nice big favour there, and 
beating him 2-0, I think it was that day, and handed the title to Leeds. So, um, yeah, incredible memories, really. And, uh, and you know, almost unheard of now, if you think about it. You know, how you know a team to come up, say, from the championship, finish fourth in their first season, and then to win it the very next would be, uh, would be you know, a feat to match that of Leicester, really, or, you know, even better, really, now. I'm going to ask <laughs> this to, to all the guys, especially John as well as a Blackburn fan. Mm-hmm. When you see, and I, I was thinking this when I watched the Leicester fans of the weekend, when you see these the younger, which you guys would have been like myself in in the nineties, fans looking on, watching them win mm-hmm. the titles, you kind of think that they don't understand how they should enjoy it because they may not see it again, mm-hmm. which Leeds fans haven't, yeah. Blackburn fans haven't. Yeah. Did, were you like that at the time, thinking, oh, we'll, we'll win it again? Like Richard said, like Liverpool were expected to win again. They've been twenty six years. Is that mm-hmm. feeling of not enjoying it as a kid more than you might have if Leeds, for instance, won it next season? Um. I mean, I, I guess so. I mean, I, you know, at the time, I think it was just, you know, just a huge shock, really. You know, I was I was 12 years old at the time and it was like, you know, the greatest day of my life, really, because I could go to school like, you know, like one of the other guys was saying, you know, you'd go to school. I was the only Leeds fan in my school <laughs> in West London. It was, uh, was unheard of for Leeds down there. And uh, so, you know, it was we thought it would be the beginning of something special. Um you know, could we do it the next season? Yeah, of course. You know, we would have loved to have won it again the, the following season. I guess what we didn't expect the following season was to not win a single away game and uh, to just finish just outside the relegation zone, which is what happened. So it went this one absolutely incredible and then to just go all downhill, you know, next time around, really. But uh, I guess, you know, that the best managers, you know, the best teams, best squads are, are those ones who remain consistent throughout, really, and having that winning mentality. And and I think with Leeds, almost looking back now, you, you think of it, they, they kind of put their all into that one season. And once they'd done it, I think they were like, that's it. This is this is the peak, really. I don't think we're ever going to achieve anything like this. And uh, I think you could only say that with hindsight now. <laughs> you know, at the time, of course, I'm sure they would have loved to have continued and, and, and win more trophies, really. But... Um, yeah, it was, it was very special. One-off, but, uh, but very special, I guess. Well, it was Man United that were chasing the title with Leeds that season, wasn't it, Matt? I mean, did you think at the time this has really started something bubbling under with Ferguson? This this is our season? Or, again, it ended in disappointment? Or was it just one of those things that you thought you were never going to reach that league title again? Well, that's true. It was it was quite the opposite of winning. We thought, this is it. This is our chance. It's been so long, 20 five years at the time I think since anything happened and we get this close and throw it away with four games to go three defeats on the trot Forest West Ham and then a hard one to take at Liverpool and that was it and it was uh, it was gone again you think this is never going to happen for us we saw the we saw the, the team getting gradually better I think we went on and I think we won the League Cup that season if I remember or well, certainly the season before trophies had started to come I think it was 90 with the FA Cup 90 91 or 92, I can't quite remember which, with, with League Cups. And, uh, you know, the team was going in the right direction, but you just, you know, you get so close and you think, you know, that's it, gone. But, like I said, it got better. It did, which we'll talk about in just a minute when the pre- bright lights of the Premier League happen. Um, before that, though, as I mentioned, our guest this week is talking Arsenal and their 1991 win uh, in uh, of, of, the, of the Championship before the Premier League. He's former midfielder David Hillier talking to us earlier in the week here on Alive and Kick In. David Hillier, welcome to Alive and Kick In. Thank you for joining us. Hi there, Ash. Yeah, no problem, mate. Nice to, nice to have a chat. Good to take you back to the 90s. Uh, this week's show, we're talking about champions of the 90s. And you, you made your debut in the early 90s of Arsenal, where there was a title for the Gunners. What do you remember about those early years at Arsenal and that title-winning season? 
Well, really, I was we were still fresh off the back of the um, '89 win, so mm-hmm. that was still the Mickey Thomas goal. Was sort of I was just coming out of the, sort of the youth team into the reserves at the time, so the club was already buzzing because of that, and we knew. Well, we, we kind of knew we had a good squad made up of homegrown players. I think that's what gave us a lot of our strength. And then coming through, my youth team was a, was a FA Cup youth winning side and a lot of players from that looked like they were going to graduate into the first team squad. So things were looking good. But when it really happened, I wasn't really expecting to get into the team that season. Um, I got my debut, I think, against Chester in the Cup. Um, and it was just a shock to me. And then I just done okay and stayed in the team and, and like I say to everybody I just rode on the crest of a wave basically for the rest of the season mm. well I think more credit than that I think you know a vital part of that team I mean what I always remember about that season is that Arsenal only lost one game I think it was against Chelsea um, but no one ever really talks about that do you think that's a little bit uncredited bearing in mind the, the teams that followed um, yeah possibly I mean when they talk about it, they revere the sort of invincibles and things like that from 2004 they, they went the whole season you know mm. um we, we we was up there with them but I think at the time because we was a we played a very uh, disciplined game you know a very sort of um controlled game it wasn't an open football match we had pretty strict things um discipline within our team I think that kind of um that kind of style people didn't credit you for as much but when you look at what you actually achieved with it it was it was fantastic, and yeah, I agree. I don't think we we got enough credit for for what we achieved that season. Yeah, it was a great Arsenal team, definitely. And and for you, I mean, how was it like to play with such players? Like you're looking at the time there with, with Paul Merson and Ian Wright and and, and guys like Tony Adams off to the back four as well. What was it like to play with that that set of uh, lads? Well, like I said, I'd come up. I, I was a youth team player, and when I was a schoolboy, they was all those were in the youth team, so mm. I, I knew them and I'd seen them achieve and I'd seen them go from boys to men really in those I mean Tony Adams turned from a lad in, at 16 in the youth team to a, to a man at 17 and a half 18 when he was like graduated up into the squad and you sort of see them people grow and that's that's what you want to do and you had a lot of respect for them but playing alongside you know Dave Rocastle yeah. Paul Merson my debut at Liverpool for the, in the league Merson scored a goal one two on the halfway line I was just like thinking like Am I really here turning that with, with Rocky and Mickey Thomas? What a player Mickey was, you know. They was mm. all, and they'd all come through. There was a lot of them were London boys, you know, and maybe been being a London boy. So it was, um, it was just going to work with your mates every day. And you know, when people talk about Leicester this season being a team, being a group of players, that it's not really like work. That's what it was like. It weren't really like work. It was, it was a load of mates. And what was George Graham like playing? And we hear a lot, obviously, about the back four and how disciplined, like you say, he was. Uh, how did you find George Graham? Uh, as a man or from a coaching as training both, point actually, of view? Yeah. Well, uh, as a man, he was he was very fair. He'd, he'd be like the kind of dad that that tell you off and make you toe the line, but when you was out, he'd buy you a pint. You know, he's, <laughs> he's that sort of. You know, he, he wouldn't he wouldn't rule with an iron fist, but you had, everybody had a lot of respect for him because he set his stall out early doors with everybody. Told us you know, how he runs things. And he had a lot of respect for that. He had good coaches as well, Theo Foley, um, Stuart Houston, really good coaches who took a lot of the pressure off of him. Um, so he could just be a, you know, a respected manager rather than have all the banter with the lads. Um, but from a coaching point of view, really disciplined, well-drilled. And, and for a forward, he, he had surprisingly good um, defensive knowledge and strategy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's probably because of what he didn't like to play against. 
That's the, you know when he was saying when he'd be drilling Tony and Boldy, he'd probably be coming from the point what a forward doesn't like, how they don't like to be marked and harassed, and and he disciplined us. And um, it was boring sometimes. I'll, I'll admit some of the training was repetitive, but um, you can't knock it. He got the results. And how for for the players? How strange was his kind of the way he left the club and, and the allegations that were aimed at him? How did the players deal with that? Well, I, I think everybody knows there was a lot more to it than just George supposedly taking an envelope. Yeah. Um, that that was that. As far as I know, that never happened. It was it, it. There was a lot more politics going on, and I think really he took one for the team. That's my my personal belief. Mm. He took one for the team and one for the club, um, and that shows you what a man he is. Because you know he could have he, he could have stood his ground, but he didn't. He, he took it on the chin and said, look. I'll do this and then there'll be no other trouble for the club and he walked and we knew he'd done it for that reason so I suppose disappointed because you know at the end of a good manager there's always a period of um, of indecision with other managers and, and, and they've got to kind of uh, reset the clock with the players when they yeah. go there and you, you're expecting you don't know what you expect and to be honest we got Bruce Rioch and well he didn't get on with anybody yeah yeah Wrong decision. Yeah, it was, it was a tough one. I mean, he did, he did, he did one great thing for the club. He brought Dennis Bergkamp. Yeah, and that's that's the you know you can't you can't. But how much of that was David Dean? You'll never know. I think all of it was probably. Um, but uh, yeah, so that was a period of sort of change for the club. So that's when it really started to change for a lot of the players. Mm. You were at the club during the the time they won the two cups. Or unfortunately, you missed them through injury. How did, how mixed emotions that for someone who's injured but also very pleased for the for their team and their club to, to win you know which was the first time an English club had done a cup double yeah uh, well a lot of people ask me that and do you know what if I'm really honest I wasn't I was of course I was bothered I weren't in the team putting on the shirt in the final but I knew that I'd played a big part mm. in all of the games running up to it I'd, I'd had some some really important roles to play marking players in games you know um, diff, difficult jobs and I'd been disciplined and I know and players had said to me, Lee Dixon, Tony Evans said, look, we wouldn't have won that game if you hadn't done that. If you hadn't sacrificed your game, which is what I used to do quite a lot, um, we wouldn't have won certain games. So from that point of view, I know the team knew how much I'd played in it. So I felt worthy of, of the medal and, and the win, really. Mm. You did play in the Cup Winners' Cup, was it, in 95, the, the Real Zaragoza game? I mean, a European final. Massive, obviously yeah. disappointing Massive. with that famous goal from, from Naeem. But again, was that again mixed emotions of playing in the final, but then the disappointment of losing? Yeah, well, I, I was on the bench and I, I came on after, um, I think, Tone, uh, Martin Keown and, and Ray Parler had had a clash. I think Martin headbutted the top of Ray's head and Ray had a split in his head. Um, so I came on and the, the game was a really tight game anyway. And, and it always was against European sides. They were always technically better than us, but we still felt that we had the discipline and everything and we'd win it. We had the players on the pitch who could win it and then, mm. yeah, the, the freak goal was just, it just blew all our heads off really at the end and I, I've always, because I'm, I'm I'm actually, I think the nearest person to lane when he shoots and I think I run at him and I try and get a block and I, I, just, I just thought he was trying to help it on. It doesn't even look like he was he was trying to go for goals but, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a special goal for him and a, and a really, really disappointing time. I don't think anyone had beers after the game. It was everyone was properly, properly depressed. Mm, disappointing days. Um, you were at the club as well, just as Larson Wenger arrived. 
he was obviously at the time famously nobody knew him in this country. Were the players the same? Were they pretty much who is this guy and where is he coming from? Yeah, it was. Um, we obviously knew he was going at Grand Passe. Um, I, I knew nothing other than that. And he turned up. Um, I think we were playing Borussia in the European Cup, Cup, possibly in one of the cup competitions. I'm sure it was that game. And he, he came to the game. Um, came to the dressing room before the game. Said hello to all the players and introduced himself. Said he'd be taking over when he comes in the summer. And then every and then, and then from that point, he had an influence in the side. He, he, he was, we were getting vitamin supplements and all that, which we'd never had before. Diet and nutrition really consisted of pasta and water and LucasAid sports, things like that. Um, you know, other ones are available. Other brands are available. Um, <laughs> but it's uh, so it was just energy drinks, chicken, pasta. But then he came and it, it changed straight away. Pretty much meals changed, diets changed. People started getting um, uh, monitored for body fluids and what needs you've got, you know, mineral needs, vitamin needs, really looking after your body. And, and from that point, you could see training changed, everything changed. And it, it was a new era, fresh, just what the players wanted after that period of going from George Graham and not really knowing what was happening. And then, boom, he came in and he settled it. Mm-hmm. You, after you later moved on to Portsmouth, how did you enjoy your time uh, at Pompey? I had a great time at Pompey. It was a fantastic club. I mean, it, they would... All the financial problems I had at the time, um, you wouldn't have known as a player. They they protected you well. The management was good. It's a good group of players. I went with um, a couple of players I knew was there: Jimmy Carter, Fitzroy Simpson. I knew him from from Man City. Um, I'd played against Terry Fenwick, and so I kind of I kind of had a little bit of friendship there already. So when I went there, it weren't I went going there cold, but it was it was a good time. We had we. Had, Good and bad times there. We got out of relegation and almost got into the playoffs. Should have probably got through to a quarter final with the FA Cup. You know, we had, we had some really good times. Really good times. Finally, then we always ask this uh, the players. I mean, who would you'd have got a plethora to choose from here? But who would be the best players you played with and, and against in, in that era? Well, the best player I ever played with was Dennis. Yeah, it, because it wasn't. It wasn't difficult for him he was he should have really been conducting he was that good you know he's the man who stands at the front and knows everything um but just the way he played football the way he the way he carried himself we'd never seen it really before we was all you know beer drinkers going out in the week and you know but we 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 worked hard the next day um to get it out of you but he was professional he'd eat right drink right talk right he was just really nice just on and off the pitch fantastic um Toughest player I played against, probably my debut up at Anfield when I played against Jan Mulberg. He was just, mm. although he was like he, he couldn't move, <laughs> really hard to mark. Yeah, um, yeah. Kieran Dyer at Ipswich, really difficult player to play against for me personally. I, I like playing against the Roy Keynes and the Carlton Palmers. They were fine because they ran in straight lines. You know, I, I just had to chase them and tackle them. That wasn't a problem. But really mobile players like that. Um, and then European competitions, I could name probably every player I've played against. Mm. Um, Benito Carboni, Torino, he was, you know, fantastic player, difficult to play against, but uh, been some some good ones. Mm, definitely. And and what are you up to nowadays, David? Uh, well, nowadays I'm living in just outside Bristol. Um, I'm a firefighter by oh, right. trade, so I've been in the fire service for uh, eleven years now. Um, so I do that for four days and then I still do lots of work for Arsenal Media, try and do bits for TalkSport, 
Sky Sports, whatever, you know, freelance media. So if anybody's out there and wants anything done. Um, Definitely. Yeah, got some I'm good stories that. and good memories. Yeah, I've got, got lots of memories. Got, I do a lot with um, Opta now. Um, I work closely with them, especially with Arsenal, with the player monitoring systems they've got. So, so we look at that. We, we look at stats. I'm a stats man. Love a stat. <laughs> um, you know, although they don't win games, they they highlight weaknesses and and you know and advantages that people have got. So you can you can tell a lot by them. But yeah, so that, that's basically what I'm still doing. Still doing a lot of football, playing a bit of charity stuff for Arsenal. Yeah, mm-hmm. so can't get away from it. No, never can. Well, thank you very much no. for for talking to us, Dave. It's been great speaking to you. No worries, Ash. Cheers. And, Thanks um, a lot. Thank Cheers, you mate. very much. See ya. Good stuff there from David Hillier talking memories and an interesting comparison there to the two title winning teams of Arsenal. But let's talk Premier League then. Um, it's the season that everything changed, as we say on this podcast completely. And we swing back to Matt as well, because this is your season. This is May United season. You stole Eric Cantona from Leeds United, the catalyst for Certainly did, what was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ends of 26 years of her. Um, what a season for May United that was, 92-93. Well, yeah, that was the uh, that was the one that really kicked it all off. I think culminating in the Sheffield Wednesday performance, you know, being behind. But I think it was a penalty. I forget who took the penalty for Wednesday at the time, but it was seven or eight or fifteen minutes of injury time, whatever it was. Fergie and, uh, time. Yeah, that was Fergie time to the maximum. I think in that one. <laughs> and uh, yeah, two headers from Steve Bruce in the last few minutes. Fergie on the pitch, Brian Kidd going crazy on the pitch. That was what you know. That was I think that's when it became real. When you think this is actually going to happen this year. Oh, I remember from as well with them winning that league, the, the first Premier League that year was the medal that they got. It wasn't a proper medal. They got a tiny little Premier League trophy, like a Sabutio. I remember, Inventor. yeah, I remember. Which is brilliant. I thought that was absolutely brilliant. <laughs> There was something today about the Leicester City players getting rings. Have you seen that? Yeah, I saw that on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, keep it nineties. But yeah, no, I did see that. But. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about May United's dominance in just a second, um, but that's bringing the other guys here. Richard, um, you obviously, it's hard to go to Liverpool in these title-winning years, but um, you stopped May United winning it the season before. But when they did win it, did you feel it might be the start of the tide that's turning between these two old clubs? Well, there was always a saying at Liverpool, um, Peter Robinson, the then chief executive, and he did a lot of fact-finding missions to Old Trafford in the 1980s and did go into the corporate streets and see what United were doing differently and how Liverpool could do it better and what they were doing, basically how they were running their club compared to Liverpool, who were far and away the market leads, weren't they, because they were winning all, all the silverware. Um, but one of, the, one of the remarks Robertson used to make, and he said it that many times that it's gone down in, uh, in folklore, he said, if Man United ever get it right on the pitch, God help us all, because they had everything in place, they had the infrastructure... They had um, they had the stadium. They had the scope to expand it, uh, and they were tapping into markets that a lot of clubs now are, are going into. Obviously, the far eastern markets and, and you know Australasia and America, and they were they were tapping into things that clubs in the late eighties, early nineties were not even considering. I mean, Liverpool's pre-season pretty much consisted of um, of you know a few trips around North Wales and a trip to Scandinavia. That was pretty much Liverpool's preparation. So, I think. I don't think anyone at the time thought United were gonna were gonna really dominate the way they did. I mean, the success they had on the face and is absolutely staggering even now to this day. You know, mm-hmm. however many years are we on? 30, 23 years now since the first title. You know, it's it still defies comprehension what Ferguson accomplished after being so close to the brink. Um, 
I don't think any of us expected it. I think the but the twenty six year thing hung over you nice a lot, didn't it? I mean, there was all the talk about this curse over them and when will they ever win a title and are they destined to just be a glamour club without any success and mm-hmm. but in the space of three years of that Mark Robbins goal and in the FA Cup run, they, they went on to dominate English football. It was uh, it was almost unexpected really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. And as we said, Vic, the catalyst was was the sale of Enric Carrick Cantona. I mean, do you remember at the time how you felt losing King Eric? Well, I was I was pretty distraught actually. I remember uh, putting on Radio Five at the time, and uh, and, the, and they said, "Oh, we've got breaking news just coming in that Leeds have agreed a fee uh, believed to be around one million pounds for the sale of Eric Cantona." And I was just in complete shock because, you know, we were talking about great games beforehand, and one I actually failed to mention was the beginning of that season was the uh, 92-93 Charity Shield, yes, which was the four-three, yeah, which was the four-three where Cantona scored a hat trick, and everyone thought, you know, he could do no wrong, but. Um, Obviously, you know, when I, when I said uh, my favourite game was obviously the Stuttgart game. So in that season when Leeds were in the European Cup, and I think that's where it all kind of started out, really. But um, Cantona wasn't really performing at his best. And Wilkinson was, he was known to kind of toe the line, really. And, uh, uh, you know, you hear, you know, sort of read a lot of interviews with McAllister and Strachan. And they say Cantona just used to be, you know, a real maverick, really. He'd be on the halfway line and, you know, just smashing, you know, balls into the back of the net from 50 yards when Howard Wilkinson's trying to get him to uh, you know just concentrate on passing and you know set pieces and everything else and Cantona's just trying to do all these skills and stuff and not really t- paying attention so uh, and there was also believed to have been a, uh, a bit of a bust up between himself and Lee Chapman as well I think at the time so uh, I don't know how true that ended up being but obviously there were there was talk about Lee Chapman going in to say, see how it's either me or him and Chapman having been our top scorer for for many a season, really. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was a shame, really. <laughs> and uh, and the rest and is history, thought, as they say. Yeah, and who would have thought what a catalyst it was? Uh, you know, McAllister. I remember this great interview with him, and he just said, "I don't think that any manager in the world could have managed Eric Cantona except Alex Ferguson." Yeah. He goes, "It was just like the perfect storm. It was the perfect mix." You know, Ferguson needed somebody as a catalyst for that team, and um, and he basically, you know, gave gave Cantona the freedom that uh, he so so badly craved, really, that he wasn't getting under Wilkinson. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but I briefly mentioned there that, that European Cup game against Stuttgart. I'll never forget it. But, uh, yeah, Cantona obviously was substituted in that game, and I think that was the last game he played for us. And Carl Schuch came on, scored scored a winner for us in a replay with Stuttgart, uh, got us through into the uh, Battle of Britain against Rangers in the European Cup. But uh, I think that was, yeah, it was pretty much... Um, Sort of one of the the last few games that uh, Cantona played for us, and uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the worst one was, I mean, obviously when Cantona came back a couple of seasons later, where United trounced us four 0 at Elland Road, Cantona scored, and uh, and that was the uh, the end of Howard Wilkinson as well. So uh, that, you know, he saw to to his demise as well, I guess. Yeah, end of his career completely. We'll talk more yep. Eric Cantona in a bit, but there was another Premier League winner in the mid nineties as well. Um, John, I've, I know I've left you quiet there for a little bit, but. <laughs> Yeah, that's revel in all of the Blackburn Rovers goodness. I mean, you took May United relatively to, to the wire. I mean, you were title challenging the season before, but it yeah. all came together in 94-95 that the signing of Alan Shearer, the record signing, the 3.2 million. I remember him scoring on the opening day against Palace, that, that double. Yeah. Shot. Yeah. The SAS, I mean, that Blackburn team clicked completely that season, didn't it? 
Yeah, it did. I mean, I mean, it, they had been building actually. They um, so we we got up for um, the '92 season um, in the playoffs and um, and finished fourth in our first season, second in the second, and then and then went on to win it. So yeah, I mean, I guess I guess in one sense we, we were a flash in the pan, and you know we we sort of tailed off quite quickly, but. They did build towards it, and there were a lot of the same. A lot of the players were there. Shearer, it was Shearer's third season um, when he won. Um, that that preseason, really, the, the the only major buy that they made was was Sutton, which was um, they broke the record for Sutton five million. Um, but they had been building towards it, and it, and it had been it had been a team that sort of developed. And you know, the the, the season before, where they, they finished second, it was. It was pretty much the same team, um, as I say, without without Chris Chris Sutton in it. Um, but yeah, it, it did just it did just click, and um, I think uh, I think Shearer just had a, an unbelievable season. He scored, I think it was thirty four league goals yeah. that season. Um, he played every game, um, forty two games he played, forty two league games he played that season. Scored, I think, thirty four goals. Um, I mean, and when you've got a, a team that was pretty hard to beat, pretty hard working, and, and was was based basically around your, your centre forward, you know, it was, it was arguably the best in Europe at the time. Um, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's quite um, it, it takes some stopping, I think. Um, and um, they were they were absolutely brilliant, and, and they played good football as well. They, they, they were quite direct at times, but. They're two good. They're two good wingers. They played four four two. They 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 scored a lot of goals. Um, and um, yeah, I think I, I don't know if they get the, the, the sort of credit they they really probably owed for that one season. Um, mm-hmm. To be honest, because I, I think they were um, they were they were the best team and they, they they squeaked over the line in the end. But um, they were um, they they had a, they had an excellent season. Yeah. And and as I said to to Vic earlier on in the, in the show, I mean. What's it like for a fan to see you win the league? I mean, it's it, again Blackburn, slightly unfashionable at the time. What did yeah. it mean to you to see them win the league? Oh, it was amazing, and and I think you're right. I think I, I don't think I appreciated it at the time. I was I was 14, and um, I'd already seen them. So I I saw them my first first time I'd ever I'd, I'd seen Blackburn actually was um, was 1987 at Wembley. We were it was a Simod Cup final, and we we um, <laughs> beat Charlton one nil. Um, um, so I, I'd seen them at Wembley. Then we we then went up in the playoffs at Wembley. Um, we'd finished fourth. We'd finished second. Finished first. Again, it felt like we were building to it, and it, it felt yeah they were rebuilding the stadium. We were breaking the the, the we broke the transfer record. The British transfer record twice with Shearer, then Sutton. It kind of felt like we were we were going to be a big team to stay, and of course we weren't. <laughs> and I guess I guess in hindsight we never were because you know we, there's no way that even today that even with Jack Walker we could ever compete with you know the money that Man United and Chelsea and, and Man City are, are getting. You know it was ne- it was never going to be sustainable but at the time it felt like it probably was um and yeah so you do look at Leicester now and you do think I hope that I hope they do make the most of it and I think they probably will because um they, they, they haven't been built I don't think Leicester built towards it like like Blackburn had um and they may well fall away who, who knows but um for us for me at the time certainly I it, it felt it felt like we were we were going to be a big team we were in the European Cup 
um and um it didn't go so well but we were there um and um yeah so so it did feel it, it is a bit strange how how you know it fell away quite quickly and i think a lot of that was douglish stepping down and them not investing in the, the season afterwards but um richard what did you think of the the anfield game i must ask sorry to interrupt you there john i just quickly right, to say um as a liverpool fan did you want man united to, to talk us through how you felt of that game and wanting blackburn to to beat you well, it was a weird game for me. I mean, I was actually in. Um, I was actually at the game, and I was in the um, in the main stand, and it was uh, it was a very strange atmosphere around. I mean, there was talk of people who, you know, there was reports on the radio, and this is probably shows how inaccurate uh, journalism was at the time. Were claims that um, you know every Liverpool sports shop had sold out a Blackburn shirt, and, <laughs> and you know everyone was willing Liverpool on to, to lose, and and all this nonsense. And I mean. It was a surreal game, I can't lie. Um, I mean, it was weird that half of Anfield cheering Alan Shearer's opener. Um, and even weird that, that people were booing the equaliser. So it was a little bit <laughs> surreal. Um, and then, obviously, Jimmy Redknapp scored at the end. And, and there was almost like a surreal atmosphere around us. almost like, oh, God, what have we done here? And, you know, there's actually people like, like, I don't know how to describe it. It was almost like... Like a sort of a, like you know a sort of realization, a sort of what have we done? We've we've basically given United the title, um, and then it was in the day of transistor radios, people were getting news that that United only drawn at West Ham, and West Ham had, had an absolute storm. I think it was Ludic McCloskey had probably the yeah. game of his life, and yeah. um, and the game was still going on. And then you know just out of nothing, spontaneously, the Blackburn players just started running around celebrating. I mean the game the game was still <laughs> going on, but the players yeah. were. Yeah. It was just like, you know, it was like, it wasn't like when, um, I mean, bringing it back to obviously the the, the present decades, um, it wasn't like when you had the Man United Man City thing in 2012 where Man United did their job and and had to wait on City. Um, you know, City didn't midway through the game just start running around the pit celebrating. It was, it was get, get the job done and then, and then you can celebrate. Um, and it was it was very very strange that, but I mean it was a hell of a team. I was actually fortunate enough after the game to um to meet the Blackburn team, and I was actually within touching distance of the trophy because I was um I followed Tim Sherwood around for about ten minutes as he walked around taking the plaudits, <laughs> um, and I received a few choice words after it. But it was a remarkable team. But as you say, I mean it seems to be one of those things where you thought that Blackburn would kick on and and Dagley would lead them to something special, but. It, it unraveled very quickly, probably as quickly as it as it as the, the momentum came, it, it fell away, and yeah. it was quite staggering really because it was a one hell of a team. And you look at, I think you look at Shearer going to Newcastle in '96 as the as when everything started falling apart because that was a hell of a team. I mean, you know, Tim Flowers, Graham Woodrow, Henry, yeah. as we've mentioned already. I mean, you know, that wasn't a team of you know, it wasn't like, and I know they've done well this year, but it wasn't like Leicester City. It was it was a team of you know, established players, experienced players. Top yeah. draw players. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think I think Hendry was Scotland captain at the time. Shearer went on to be England captain. Sherwood went on to be Tottenham's captain. We had yeah. a lot of leaders. There were a lot of real strong personalities. David Batty hardly played. He hardly yeah. got a game that season. He was injured. Um, the two Darren weeks. Peacock, was he? Was he around at the time as well? He, he came late. He came later on. Um, mm. he, he, yeah, he was less celebrated. I have to <laughs> we celebrate <laughs> QPR. Thank I'm... you very much for that. Because he <laughs> yeah, said it yeah. wasn't worth it. He went on yeah. to captain QPR. I'm sure he did. <laughs> yeah. We had Berg. I mean, there was there was it was Berg. a really good team. Um, I think I think one of the one of the main issues that summer was that they they didn't 
They didn't sign anybody. They signed one player that year, and it was it was Matty Holmes from West Ham. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. yeah, yeah. I mean, he was a decent player. The, 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 the story the story goes. I don't know whether there's any substance in it or not, but the story goes that Dalglish had recommended to the board that they sign these two young lads from I think it was Bordeaux at the time. Um, one was um, Christophe Dugaray and the other one was Zinedine Zidane. And um, all right, wouldn't it? Well, it would have been all right. And 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 the story goes apparently that that Jack Walker said, um, "Why do we need this guy Zinedine Zidane? We've got Tim Sherwood." So they never bought him. <laughs> whether I, I, you know, whether there's any substance in that at all, but obviously I think Dugaray went on to AC Milan. I think Zidane went on to Juventus, and and we got Matty Holmes, and that was kind of. <laughs> That was kind of, I think, the beginning and the end. And, and Europe went really badly the next season. Um, and, 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 and that was it. I think, I think the wind sort of, sort of went out of their sails. Shearer went that summer. And, and, yeah. and then, um, yeah, it all started to unravel a bit. We, you know, we lost, we lost the so We lost Hendry. Um, our, our best players started to go. And, and it, it, was, it wasn't that long until we were, um, we'd been relegated. So, uh, yeah. There you it's go. Day as we said earlier in the show. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's leave the, the the final sort of words here because we're running out of time um, to Matt because obviously Man United did dominate the decade. We can't talk every season because we'll be here all night. But for you, Matt, what season stands out the most for you as a Man United fan of all the title wins? Was it the first one? It was it. Would it be '99 and, and all the glory that was the treble? No, I think my well, a couple of my I like '94, the double win in '94. But I think '96 was my personal favourite, the the return of Cantona after the Kung Fu kick. Everything seemed to click into place that year. Um, We saw the best of him, so many late winners, so many uh, big moments and uh, you know, culminating in a double and a a 1-0 win over Liverpool in the FA Cup final. I don't think we could ask for any more as United. And it was that that sort of 90s era, everything went Everything went uh, up from there, and of course, '99 was was a wonderful year um, to see the team transform from that '96. Few players come and go. The the kids, well, you know, the the class of '92 sort of maturing into the players they became. But '96 um, was always a favourite for me. I think. Mm. Well, thank you very much, guys. It was a great look back to uh, the champions of the 90s. Unfortunately, we didn't get to talk too much about 1998, the Arsenal team that were phenomenal under Arsene Wenger and Petit and Vieira, but we have spoke about in the past and David Hilliard did touch on them. But thank you, firstly, to uh, Richard, going all the way back to 1990 Liverpool. Hopefully it won't be too much longer. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Matt, is it always good to talk to you uh, and, and Man United? And, and, you know, again, you're in, you're kind of suffering the Liverpool syndrome this season, aren't you? So we won't see your title win for maybe a while as well. What do you think about that? Uh, it's not going well at the moment, is it? And let's just see. Uh, <laughs> I, I hope it's not. I think we're, we're falling down that Liverpool road at the moment. Let's hope it doesn't go on too much longer. We'll see you next season. And then we'll see the Leeds and Blackburn completely different at the moment. Vic, thanks for joining <laughs> us. But, we'll, you know, we're never knowing the championship next season, especially Leeds and, and that crazy owner. So we'll see what happens. Exactly. Yeah. Let's hope we have a manager to start next season with. Yeah. Yeah. Same with uh, Blackburn as well, John, isn't it? So yeah, no manager, no manager, little hope. Uh, yeah. We're looking the other way, actually. Uh, and it's just trying to stay out of League One. Oh, that's, uh, that'll do us for the time being. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thank you very much, guys. Um, it's been a pleasure having you. Thank you for listening. I've been Ash Rose. Until next week, keep it 90s. Hey!